3: Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. This week, a really, really good podcast. Um, very fortunate to get these people. We are doing a roundtable on the future of hockey reporting, which obviously, of course, includes what is currently going on with hockey reporting. The guests are Michael Farber, the Hall of Fame hockey writer and longtime Sports Illustrated writer and TSN contributor, ESPN hockey reporter Emily Kaplan. Michael Russo, senior writer covering the Minnesota Wild and the NHL for the Athletic, and Fluto Shinzawa, a senior writer for the Athletic covering the Boston Bruins, and obviously a longtime Boston Globe writer before that. It's a uh, a really, I think, uh, thoughtful and smart and informative discussion on the state of hockey reporting in 2022 and where it will go in the future. Don't want to take any more time. Regarding my usually long intros, let's get right to the panel on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, this is uh, a very distinguished panel, and it would probably take 45 minutes for me to do all their resume stuff, so I'm going to try to limit it to uh, a one-sentence stuff. Michael Farber, my longtime colleague at Sports Illustrated, Hall of Fame hockey writer, longtime TSN contributor Great that he has joined me today. ESPN hockey reporter Emily Kaplan. If you're a hockey fan, obviously you've seen her on television. You've read her work. Again, another former colleague of mine from her Sports Illustrated Monday morning quarterback days. Michael Russo is a senior writer covering the Minnesota Wild and the NHL for The Athletic. Also, obviously, a, a major domo in Minneapolis where I think he hosts like 47 radio shows. I've been told there's something to that effect. Fluto Shinzawa is a senior writer for The Athletic covering the Boston Bruins. If you're in the Boston area, he's been one of the conduits to hockey probably for multiple generations. Obviously, longtime Boston Globe writer as well. This is a really distinguished panel, and I'm pleased that they're all joined or joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Guys, I want to start with this. It's very open-ended. You can go as long as you want. And uh, let me start with you, Michael Russo, if I can. How would you evaluate the state of hockey reporting in 2022?
2: I mean, much more difficult. Uh, you know, especially at the Athletic where, you know, the 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 coolness of of what we do is just the ability to get uh, you know, tell great great stories and when you have limited access, it just absolutely changes things. I mean, even just you know, I'm, I'm doing a podcast with a player in a couple of days, which is awesome that I could do it one on one. But I got to make sure that we are measured to be like 20 feet apart and things like that. So, I mean, access is the biggest thing to do this job well, in my opinion, other than just being robotic. And I just think it it, it makes it much more difficult. Um, but but if you've done this job long enough and you have good relationships, there are definitely ways around that, which I've had to definitely tap into the last couple of years. Um, but you know, to me, um, if you have that that sort of wherewithal to be able to work hard, to go behind the scenes and get those stories, there's still a way to do it. But it just makes it a lot more, a, a lot tougher when everything, you know, as much as we are, there are some teams doing, going back to all Zooms, there are still teams like the Minnesota Wild to give us access to players on one-on-ones if we want it. But it's still all a press conference setting. There's no in the locker room anymore no shooting the breeze with players it's everybody's getting the same four guys now after games and it just makes that um a lot tougher
3: emily let me go to you because you know access for you is is shouldn't really be that big an issue you work for the the one of the rights holder partners so you have unique access but from your perspective as someone who covers this game nationally like what are you seeing what are you seeing in terms of the stories that are being chosen what are you seeing in terms of what the public's getting
1: I think it varies market to market, quite frankly. I think there's a wide range of, you know, whether it's local restrictions or more helpful or less helpful PR departments where it's definitely not an even playing field. Um, I feel very fortunate to work at ESPN, which is a rights holder. And I'm so aware that I get more access than most. I mean, when we're broadcasting a game, We still get to do in-person sessions with the coaches, you know, riffing, getting background information, um, all of that stuff that I'm fully cognizant. So many beat writers don't get these days. And that's just a shame because I think that is such an integral part of the job. Um, And I also just I feel for a lot of young writers. You know, I was talking to Peter Baugh, a young writer at The Athletic, and it floored me at the end of last season. He had covered the Colorado Avalanche without most of these guys have never even seen his face. Like the Zoom on the other end, um, you know, it's black. And that's wild. Like, how are you supposed to form relationships? Um, Not only are you not in person and and getting that equity, but even just face-to-face contact. So I think it's really fragile right now. Um, I don't think it's exclusive to hockey. I think, you know, the pandemic has wreaked havoc on so many of our daily routines. Um, But yeah, and as for the, you know, the stories that are being told, um, I'd love to see more stories. I want us to bring out the life of these players i want us to get deeper inside the game um but that's always been a challenge in hockey a sport that the guys are conditioned not to use a pronoun i not talk about themselves uh not to want to open up in that way and it's especially a challenge now when we, they can't open their doors or we can't talk to them in that way
3: All right, i'm gonna to you farber and then follow fluto farber you're not uh you're not covering hockey on a day-to-day basis so i think you can answer this question on a. Uh, Maybe a little more longitudinal, like what 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 it was like when you were covering the sport day to day, and what you're reading and seeing now.
4: Oh, so when I was picking, Howie Morenz is one of the three stars.
3: <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's 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 correct, that's, right? That's I liked your trendy, coverage though. of uh, the St. Patrick Maple Leafs. They were all yeah.
4: Coming. Well, thank you for that. I will tell one story because storytelling is a primal imaginative act, and unfortunately, for reasons that Mike and Emily have. Laid out. Uh, it's tougher and tougher to do that. I was covering uh, back when I was in early years at the Gazette. I went down to the story on Gordy Howe, uh, who was then with Hartford and then in his fifties, and uh, I was good because Red Fisher vouched for me. So Gordy was fine. I didn't know Gordy at that point. Um, I was supposed to talk to him. Uh, they were the whalers are going to Philly. Uh, I was supposed to talk to him somewhere along the line. I got bumped on the commercial flight. Teams flew commercial. And Gordy said, well, there's another flight in two and a half hours. So uh, I'll take that one. So we both got off the flight. (laughs) Gordy Howe got off the flight. And we sat for two and a half hours in the Hartford Springfield Airport. And I got my story for the Montreal Gazette. The problem here, you're talking of four people, I had the privilege of working for Sports Illustrated. So I got preferred access because of the great work Fluto has done in Boston and you know Mike has done in multiple cities. People around the league know them. They have developed the relationship. And because Emily, who's still relatively new to the beat, works for ESPN, she gets access. So uh, the colleagues who don't get access are at a distinct disadvantage. has this led? It's led to more analytic stories uh, because that's the way to go. Uh, you have to use numbers. You can't get the people to tell their stories in the same way. And as an old storyteller, I find that unfortunate.
3: Fluto, um, you've heard your three colleagues uh, answer this question. You're welcome to uh, to take it anywhere you want, whether you want to discuss access or you want to discuss the the content that exists now for re- for readers and viewers,
0: um, I, I would say that I'm I'm somewhat concerned about just the future of the the quality. Just because, okay, you have, uh, I think a lot of people understand the access issues. Okay, that that's going to mute interest for some writers that might be. Uh, thinking about hockey writing or maybe even just sports writing in general. And maybe they're doing something else. Maybe they think, oh, I don't want to sit at a computer all day rather than go to a game and go to the room and talk to these players and talk to uh, their their surrounding circles to get these kinds of stories. And may- maybe they want to do something else. So the access is is certainly an issue. Um, and uh, I, I find that that's going to be, I think, a issue an issue in terms of recruiting talent and in, in terms of, of getting good uh, writers, talented writers, uh, hardworking reporters. Uh, I, I think there's going to be some barriers there for entry that they might want to consider some other line of business. Um, and where is that going to lead? That's going to lead to uh, a decline in, in the the work that we're all reading and that we're all used to writing, because I know, just speaking from my perspective, my work probably isn't as strong as it has been before. It's just it's just reality that I I know I feel a degree of detachment from the team that I cover just because I don't see them. I'm I'm not on the road as much. Uh, I don't talk to as many people. So I'm just my level of engagement personally is down, um, and I I think that that shows in the work. Maybe the readers don't really see that, but uh, I feel it on, on a personal basis. So, so um, maybe that's the way across the league, uh, perhaps, and it's unfortunate, but that's the reality. So yes, we're, we're all trying to figure out alternatives in terms of trying to do uh, work and through through other avenues through other options. But boy, I, I know my work is suffering. Um, so I, I worry about the, the quality of the work overall, and the quality of the writing that, that we're going to be seeing in the future.
2: I couldn't agree more with, with Pluto from that standpoint, like one of the great parts of doing this job is just hanging out in the locker room, notebook in your back pocket, listening to the chirps, listening to the funny stuff that goes around and inevitably something comes up that makes a great story. And I just think of the amount of stories that in the last two years, haven't been able to be told because we don't see all these cool things that are happening in the locker room and hearing all these things. And that as great as like the Minnesota wilds PR staff is absolutely unbelievable. And they've been incredible here. We still get one-on-ones, we still get um, access to players face-to-face, but that stuff that they can't help is us just being in the room and just having our eyes and ears open. Like a a lot of good reporters are able to do. And um, you know, and it really, it, it, you know, I don't know if the fans, the readers that read me religiously would notice it, as much as I feel it, because I see stuff that happens all the time that the wild put out on their social media videos and things like that. I'm like, God, if I had seen that happen, that would have been an incredible story to be told. And, you know, even at the winter classic, like in practice, Karel Kaprizov scored the Michigan lacrosse goal, but we're all the way miles up from the press box. We're not allowed to be on the field because of COVID. And, and so that's something that I just never saw until a week later when they put out the video of him scoring the lacrosse goal. And so it's even little stuff like that of just from an access where normally we'd be able to watch practice and there we're not able to.
4: I think you raise a great point, Mike, and this predates COVID. If you went into the Toronto Maple Leafs dressing room for the past 10 years, one player would come out, he'd be bombarded with reporters and cameramen, and then another player would come out. Uh, But the Wild can do what it wants on its social media. I think the biggest change in hockey reporting is that you in Minnesota and Fluto in Boston, you're competing against the teams you're covering because they want to cover themselves. And this is true of team websites and NHL.com and other state-sponsored media. So you're supposed to be covering these teams, but these teams want to save these nuggets for themselves, which has made your jobs much more difficult.
3: Let me go to Emily on this, and then I'll go to Fluto. Emily, what stories, in your opinion, are not being covered at the moment or perhaps not being covered as as strongly as they should? What's undercovered right now in the sport?
1: I mean, the league is undercovered, quite frankly. Um, If you look at hockey media and the landscape, Um, The Athletic does a great job and it employs so many terrific reporters and writers, but there's very few outlets right now um, that put that same amount of resource and infrastructure in. Um, I like to think ESPN has. TNT is the new rights holder and they do a great job on TV. They don't have, you know, a written arm or outlet that really covers them in that way, um, dedicated besides Bleacher Report, which just seems to be more of aggregation. So. In general, I find our sport to be undercovered, Um, but what specific stories, again, it's the personality profiles, it's getting to know who these players are off the ice. Um, You know, I did a story on Austin Matthews this summer, it was our big cover story treatment, he gave us a ton of access, again, I'm a rights holder, I'm very aware of, you know, the more preferential treatment that I get. And it just shocked me of how many Americans still have no idea who this kid is, even though he's the greatest American goal scorer perhaps we've ever seen. Um, And that's just, you know, a product of hockey. Um, Mental health stories I don't think are covered um, as well as they can be or should be. I think this pandemic has been so difficult on so many of us and hockey players and executives and people in the game are no different. And I know they're suffering and I would like to see um, us. talk about that more. Um, And then the investigative stuff, you know, we talk about Katie Strang and Rick Westhead, as you know, the pillars of hockey investigative journalism, and they do such a great job, but it's really them standing on an island. And I think that's, probably just a function of hockey media we're all stretched a little bit too thin and the hardest thing to do is to sink your teeth into an investigative story to get your editors and bosses to buy into the time and resources it allows and i mean like i would love to you know sink into a couple of topics or, or things i hear about i just i don't have the time or bandwidth um and i'm trying to do the best i can to you know appease all by different um areas and i, I just wish that there were more people telling those stories because there's important investigative work to do in this uh, job as well.
3: Fluta, do you want to uh, weigh in on that?
0: Um, I know just from my perspective, what, what I enjoy or what I, what I did enjoy about what it was like before is, is some of the strategy. I, I found that that's, that's some of the stuff that I, I don't really, clearly that's meant for TV and those color guys do a great job. Um. But I, I enjoy reading that stuff, and that's just uh, stuff that I know I'm not writing anymore just because that's that's the kind of degree of reporting that you need to be five, 10, 15 minutes sitting next to a player, coaches, having them explain to you certain tendencies, situations, uh, explaining what was happening during the game. I know I'm not doing that just, just, be, just because it's not available. So that's that's the stuff that I miss um i miss writing it i miss reading that that kind of um reporting so um i, I don't know that there is a solution that, that perhaps we we can work around it through video interviews and through zoom um but that's uh, that's that's the stuff that i'm not reading that I, I wish i was
3: let me i want to go to the two michaels here uh, we could start with you farber um emily um referenced rick west and Katie Strang those are uh, the requests as a colleague of yours Michael obviously Katie Strang is a colleague of uh, of ours Fluto and uh, Michael Russo's and we have seen them reporting on sexual abuse in hockey hockey culture uh, mental health issues Um, and their reporting has really feels like it's crossed past hockey into the general public but I think Emily is on to something it it's I don't know how many other reporters I can tell your name, like other than those two who have prominently done this. I'm sure there are, but I think me not knowing that sort of says something. So, Michael Farber, you you covered the sport at a time where, like, you know, machismo was through the roof and nobody ever talked about this stuff. Um, and now you're seeing it today. My sense is, and again, I don't cover the sport day to day, my sense is that Katie and Rick have just touched the surface and that there are so many of these stories that we really haven't come close to hearing about, and the only way we will is, I guess, if if, if places uh, put money um, towards doing those stories. But Farber, you and I know this at SI. Sometimes you can investigate something for five months; it never comes to fruition. You got to pay that reporter and those people five months to do something that never becomes a story. How do you? I should have asked a better question, but how do you see all this?
4: Well, let's start with the two reporters you mentioned, Rick West, West works for TSN, which is not a rights holder. Now, uh, would he be doing the same things if he were working for a rights holder? You know, I somehow doubt it. Uh, would he be not, he would be doing it or want to be doing it, but would he have his free reign? Now, he did a lot of good stories before uh, the rights in Canada went to Sportsnet. Katie Strang is excellent at what she does. Is everybody else? Do other people have the same kind of jam, uh, willingness, both from a, a personal perspective and a corporate perspective, to go ahead and pursue those stories? Uh, you would hope so, uh, but investigative journalism takes time and money. And even the athletic, which started out with a certain model and how they wanted to do these stories has moved to, towards a more of what happened in the game last night to approach. So uh, unless with the sale to the times, things change, I don't see uh, you you'll be getting much more of what you've gotten from West head and strand.
3: Did you, Michael Russo, did you want to add something there?
4: Well, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I, I think the one
2: point that Emily made too. First of all, to to get to Michael's point, it takes incredible courage. Like I, I, I don't think there's a person on our staff at the Athletic that's more respected than Katie, and it's because a lot, she really takes on the stories that a lot of us either can't or won't do or don't have the time to do. And the one thing that Emily said that I couldn't agree with more is also the bandwidth, like like the the, the ability to have the time while you're covering the wild. But also having to work on all these investigative pieces, there's only just so much time in the day and energy and ability to do that before you run yourself right into the ground and just fry your brain and fry your fingertips. And, I, you know, the one thing that she said that popped in my head was the Derek Bugard when he passed away here in Minnesota. I was absolutely all over it. Um I wrote every single story at the time. It destroyed me as a beat writer because I knew him personally too. He's one of those people that I used to go and lean against his locker and wait until he basically wrote a story for me by you know something happening in the locker room. And then John Branch came along and really fleshed it out into a meaningful, impactful thing to write about what led to his downfall. And I remember reading John Branch's book and reading John Branch's coverage at the time and almost feeling ashamed as the beat writer that covered Derek Bugard because I never delved into that. But the thing that Emily said that really popped in my head is that a lot of us that also have your day job, quote unquote, is you don't have the time to put that effort in. And I think that's I think we have been so streamed down as a as a media business where there just aren't a lot of us anymore that that a lot of stories do fall by the wayside just because we don't have the time to write them, which is what makes people like Katie strang so important um to covering this league properly is because she can delve into a story that a lot of us cannot
3: i want to um i want to start uh with emily here uh because she covers the sport nationally and probably has been in the most uh i don't even know what the There theres really is no press box at the moment, but at least the 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 most arenas in. Uh, over the last uh, 12 months so she'll have uh, uh, certainly a sense of this but Emily I want to talk about the people who are covering the sport at the moment Um, the professional writers association uh, uh, the hockey writers pretty much remains overwhelmingly white I do know that um, gender has gotten much better Uh, Over however many years you want, there's obviously uh, uh, more women covering the sport than probably were doing in the 70s and 60s. How would you evaluate where the sport is right now regarding people of color covering it?
1: Yeah, I'm inspired by just how many young women I see who have broken into this business and are so passionate about it and are so talented. And they're not there just to take a box. They've earned their right to be there. And that has been the biggest development I've seen, even in the four years I've covered the sport. I feel like I've seen progress. Um, As for people of color, unfortunately, it's reflective of the sport itself. It's predominantly a white sport. Um, There's so many socioeconomic reasons for that. Um, It's something that I know the league is working so hard to change. And there's people like Kim Davis in the league office who have made it their lives work to diversify hockey and make it more reflective of our society. Um, But the truth is it's still a white sport, still a sport of privilege Um, And I do think that the people that cover it reflect that. And I'd like to see, you know, just different voices from just different backgrounds. It's not necessarily about the color of your skin or your gender. It's more so about what life experiences you have. Like I think one of the reasons I did so well coming into this is I covered the NFL and then walking into a hockey locker room, I was constantly asking, well, this looks different or why do they do it this way? And because I had a different life experience, I I noticed different things and I want people with tons of different life experiences diverse to walk into our beat and challenge things and ask the status quo or notice things that are unique to them because those I think are the stories that will shine through and will resonate with readers. Um, so we have a lot of work to do.
2: I agree. like R- Ryan Clark at like Richard Ryan Clark at the athletic it's like anything to do with race or color winds up on his platter. And um, you know, sometimes I really feel for him because a lot of us lean on him for expertise and, in helping shape the way that we write things sensitively. I remember I did a, um, uh, you know, when Matt Dumba, um, and, and was, was, uh, you know, went and kneeled. I can't remember the exact situation, but it was either before or after Matt Dumba kneeled at the, um, at the, uh, uh, bubble. I remember talking to, to Ryan Clark and saying, I need to have you as a co-byline here because I just don't feel comfortable writing this on my own. I remember I did a podcast with, um, a round table when all the George Floyd stuff was happening here in Minnesota with uh, JT Brown, Eustace King, who's, um, you know, an African-American that, that, uh, that lives in Los Angeles. That's a player agent for a lot of huge players. Uh, Dr. Boyd, the first African-American doctor in professional hockey um, here in Minnesota He's the wild team orthopedic surgeon. And uh, Jared Spurgeon was actually on the podcast as well. And I just remember how absolutely nervous I was going into that podcast and calling up Ryan Clark and asking him advice on how I word things and everything. And it it makes it super, super stressful because you just feel like you are, you know, when, when I can only imagine what Ryan feels whenever he gets a phone call from any of us during, for a sensitive topic to try to get his expertise. And it's because there's just, you know, there's only a handful of, of, you know, African-American or, you know, men or women covering this sport.
3: Did uh, Fluto or Mike, did you want
4: anything? Yeah, I want to point out that going back, as far as I can remember, hockey was the most welcoming of sports, professional sports, to whoever wanted to cover it. Uh, Back in the 1970s, when I was at the record in Hackensack, New Jersey, and around the Rangers, uh, the New York Times, the Daily News, and Newsday all had women covering the beat. Now, maybe because hockey was a relatively minor pro beat compared to baseball. Uh, But my understanding was they were welcome. And there's a story that uh, New York Times woman walked into a dressing room. This is at a time when Major League Baseball was trying to keep women out of clubhouses. And uh, Phil Esposito uh, looked at her and called Red Fisher over. He said, Red, who's that? And he said, that's so-and-so from the New York Times. And uh, Phil said, wow, she's got balls. And that's what life was. But hockey, because it is undercovered, as Emily noted, is dying for coverage. And it is so open. And people are more than willing to explain the game. Every, so this is my experience there. And uh, unfortunately, we've lost some really good people who could still be working in it. And Mike worked with one in South Florida, David Neal. I mean, that South Florida crew with Mike and Brian Begain at the Palm Beach Post, and David Neal, Miami Herald. David Neal is a uh, person of color. I mean, that they were among the best group of guys covering any team that I've seen. So it's open. But I want to know when you see something on Saturday Night Live, let's do this hockey thing, Uh, you know, and and everyone thinks that's funny. What do you guys think? Is that funny or is that something about the state of uh, hockey coverage?
2: (laughs) That's a good question, Michael. I was just still thinking about David Neal because I'm telling you, like what, what you said really popped a lot of things in my head because I... I look at David Neal from Miami Herald, as you mentioned, African-American man, he still works for the Miami Herald, just in the in sports as like the reason why I was able to exceed down there at that time, because he took me as his competitor, essentially under his wing. Like he taught me a lot of how to do this job, how to book trips, how to get into buildings for the first time, which is super intimidating when you're a young 20 year old and never traveled in your life, Um, you know, all that type of stuff. And he knew more in one hand about hockey than most hockey writers I'd ever met just from his days growing up watching the Indiana team in, in Indianapolis covering, you know, watching Gretzky and all those, all those teams, the racers. Um, So I don't know, it just popped in my head and it's amazing to me that there just aren't more um, people that like him in this sport.
3: Fluto, I'm going to start with you on this next topic. Did you want to add anything on this before?
0: Well, yeah, I I would guess um, that it's, it's a complicated sport, right? There's, there's, there's ice, there's sticks, there's all this equipment that, that a lot of people are not familiar with. So I, I think it could be intimidating for writers. Um, I know just, just as a, as a hockey parent. Now uh, I found, okay, uh, I, I got to know the press box in the room and everything. And I was fine with that. But then I, 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 as a hockey parent, I wasn't sure. Okay. Do I go in the lobby here? Where, where do I go into a, a room with a kid? How do I buy the equipment? All this stuff, the, that, that i had a little bit of, of trouble navigating so i think there's just a lot of obstacles that are involved with the sport that can be challenging for people who aren't familiar with it so maybe that's one reason why it's it's tough to to get your foot in the door as as a writer it's 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 a complicated sport
3: fluto let me stick with you and emily you're welcome to sit this one out as someone who's paid by the uh paid by espn and obviously appears on their airwaves but I, I am curious. The it was significant news in the United States that ESPN and Turner are now the longtime rights holders, taking this over from NBC. And there's always been sort of a thought, rightly or wrongly, that you need ESPN to grow your sport. If your sport doesn't get prominence on ESPN, it it gets left behind. Whether that's true or not, it's sort of that's just I think in the United States, sort of a a thought process or certainly was at least in a pre-streaming era from your perspective, Fluto, what kind of impact do you think ESPN and Turner will make when it comes to interest in hockey content?
0: Uh, I, I have to think it can only help, right. Just because of the the footprint that, that both uh, platforms have the, the, the reach. Um, I, I think NBC was great. Um, and you could see it was, it was pretty cool by the time you got to the playoffs. Okay. It's, there's a game on NBC, NBC Sports, uh, whatever their other networks were, I think USA and maybe CNBC. And it, that, that was pretty neat in terms of kind of the the, the saturation that they provided. But I, I I don't know the TV business at all. So uh, just speaking as, as a watcher, I, I have to believe that that's going to help just the, the casual viewer that, that is familiar with ESPN. and. Um, uh, maybe not TNT to to that degree, but uh, from what I understand, they they did a great job and have done a great job with basketball. So why wouldn't that apply with hockey? So, and then the the dollars that they're uh, incorporating into the league with, with the rights fees that that can only help as, as the league and the teams try and gain some kind of traction coming out of this, Uh, it can only help. So, uh, yeah, as a viewer, as the, the casual viewer, it can uh, I'm sure that 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 that's a powerful, powerful name, ESPN, so that can only help.
3: Farber, I wanna, as someone who's been on uh, television uh, as much as McDavid and Gretzky over the years, uh, you're a perfect per, of course north of the border. But you're a perfect person to uh, to ask this because you, you know, you've lived the eras of ESPN having the package, losing the package, NBC sort of growing the sport. And then you always get this question, obviously, as someone who's been prominent on Canadian television, where this is not even a question. Like no one's asking if TSN or Sportsnet's going to grow the sport. The sport is what it is here.
4: Well, yeah. I mean, and this is the point. The sport is kind of the sport. You're not going to change it. And as Fluto pointed out, it's an expensive sport. And I hesitate to use the word, but I will anyway. It's a niche sport. What impact will ESPN have? I'd say slightly more than zero, unless the price can go down. We talk about growing the game. Well, how's the game going to grow with climate change? And it's tougher to get ice outdoors in the winter, so you're not going to skate. The, the sheer cost of it. The only impact I see ESPN having, and I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am, is if other ESPN people make it important. If it's suddenly on pardon the interruption and all the other talk shows, if they're talking about it, making it part of the conversation in the way that the NBA and other ESPN product is part of the conversation and the NFL, which is also on ESPN, and it's a national part of the conversation. Unless these people are doing it, it's not going to happen. I mean, look, hockey remains exotic. You and I worked in a building roughly a mile from Madison Square Garden. Is that true, Richard?
3: It's about right, yeah.
4: And the New York Rangers have been in business since the mid-1920s. And there were so many decision makers at Sports Illustrated who viewed hockey as a it's been around 100, it's exotic. And until there are more people like Tim Kalashaw, uh Jeff Schultz, important national writers who say, yeah, this is great. And, the, and the hockey, other than when there's some spasm of irrationality you know if that can be a daily feature and an in-depth feature on these espn parade of talk shows hockey is not going to grow
3: emily i want to by the way emily get caprice off on all the espn shows uh, you're doing there's your, there's your sort of assignment to help grow the sport i got a couple more for you guys and then i'll let you go i want to ask you emily about um analytics and the role of analytics in the sport and at least for this conversation the role of analytics in stories both in print as well as on television uh, we have seen the revolution in baseball where it's really commonplace now to see analytics pop up in the most general interest stories let alone there are sites dedicated specific to analytics which have a a ton of fans i wonder how you see this uh the interest will this grow and also this relates into gambling too where analytics and data, in theory, can play a massive role in, in gambling. You know, you bet on how much ice time Austin Matthews gets versus Mitch Marner. Or, you know, you bet on how much, how many miles, like one of the players uh, skated during a game. Like it sort of opens up to a lot of in- interesting things. But the real question is, does the hockey fan want
2: this?
1: a really good question. Um, you know, like when I'm in between the benches for a game, I have two monitors in front of me. One is a replay monitor and the other is both teams. It's a green light in front of each guy's name. If he's sitting on the bench, red light, if he goes into the room because they're wearing a tracker, it says the shift length, the shift time, the miles per hour on the shot or the speed. And those are all tools to help me and the broadcast and storytelling of the game Um So I don't think that's an accident, right? I think this is where we're going. Um, I think fans want this. They want, if there's information available, that's our society. We want it all. Um, And as the league formalizes its relationship with Vegas and big sports betting companies, um, you're going to start seeing that Folded it to coverage too. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because I do think casual gamblers perhaps start tuning into hockey games, realize that they love the sport and then become lifelong fans. I I think that is a thing that absolutely can happen. Um, So I think there's an appetite for it and I think we're doing it. Um, You know, I'm someone who got into this because I hated math. I was so bad at math. The only thing I could do was write. And that's why I became a sports writer. Um, I'm realizing that's a very obsolete way to think. You've got to think about these things. And analytics departments are just growing in hockey front offices. Like We're not steering away from information. We're leaning in and embracing it. And then I just wanted to comment on the previous conversation, too, of my uh, employer in ESPN. Um, All valid points. And I just think the one thing I would say is these things take time. Um, yeah, we're, we are signed a seven year deal and we want things to be better right away, but I've noticed the small changes around the horn to show them on hockey highlights, now, make it into the rundown more often than they did last year because we have clearance for it and we can show it. And, and now it's a talking point to promote the games that we have on our network. Um, you know, when Stephen A. Smith did that bit about Connor McDavid or the Seattle Kraken, like it got people talking. And we also have a show called The Point, which is hosted by John Bouticross, which I just feel like hockey fans have never had that dedicated hour a week to storytelling and taking us inside the game. We ran 12 minutes on Jack Hughes, a hockey player. On TV. Do you know how rare that is to get 12 minutes on a hockey player on ESPN? Um, and it was just a look inside his life of what it's like to be a 20 year old, competent kid breaking into the league. He was so fun. He gave us a ton of access. So we're doing these things and we're getting there. But I would just implore people to have a little bit of patience because we're still figuring it out.
3: Let's, uh, Mike Russo, I'll go to you and then we'll go to Fluto because obviously you guys are writing on a daily basis. Where do you see analytics, Mike? You, you know, you have a very popular readership when it comes to those who are interested in the Wild. So you must have your own, like, uh, for lack of a better word, sort of internal data or anecdotal data about how people like or do not like stories where where analytics are prominent.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. So I just did a double byline story with uh, Shana Goldman at the Athletic uh, on Jonas Bordine. and it was a very analytical piece. And everybody on Twitter knew the parts that I contributed to and the parts that she contributed. <laughs> That's how um, that's how wild fans have grown to know that I am not an analytics guy. And it mostly it is. It's because it's sort of because of laziness. A lot of it's because of intelligence, lack thereof. Um, you know, I, I, I did a math equation the other night where I tried to figure out how many penalties uh, Kevin Fiala took in a five minute span. And of course, I got it wrong. Um, so, it, you know, that's that's that's. Problem that uh, sometimes I have. So and and at the athletic, I mean, to, to be a little bit more honest, you know, we have so many analytics writers, um, you know, there that that a lot of times I've just again out of laziness just sort of leaned on them. Where if I was probably still at the Star Tribune, I would have to adjust and use it a lot more. But we are going to have to use it a lot more. Hopefully, the information that. Emily was talking about that really is not broadcast to the beat writers only to the broadcasters and things like that. Hopefully we have better access to that where we could dive into that stuff and use it to sprinkle into our stories to add more context. But I'm, I'll am i highly admit that I'm a dinosaur in this area. I still like to write. You know, I'm a newsbreaker. That's my specialty. I like breaking news. I like reporting. And then uh, the third thing I like to do is write. I'm not a wordsmith like Michael Farber. Um. In fact, I used a Michael Farber line, I attributed it to Michael Farber in my Winter Classic uh, report the other day, where it was the hype meets hyperthermia line that he used during the Heritage Classic. <laughs> many, many. That years. does sound like yep. Farber. Um. You know, that's the type of line that I would never be capable of coming up with. But so I go that route and then lean on people to sort of help me there. But it is go. Absolutely. I mean, what I've seen in the last five years in the development of analytics and. And as Michael mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, analytics writers and, and some of these young guys that, and, and girls that know everything about every single detail of analytics um, and how it could help complement writing, I think is, uh, you know, it could only help. And it's just another adjustment that we've all had to make, um, you know, as, as hockey writers. And you know, when I first started covering out, covering this league, you had only one way to burn a, a player. And that was in print in newspaper the next day. Now, if I got a player mad at me, it could be from something I tweeted, said on a podcast, said on a radio show, said on a TV show. That, you know, it's a lot of reasons why sometimes it's a little harder to develop a relationship with a player because you have all these different mechanisms now to talk about the sport. Where years ago, it was just writing. And so it's just another way that sort of sports journalism in the last, couple, in the last several years has evolved into what it is now. Fluto?
0: I think it's tricky just because I know as a reader – Boy, my attention span has, has decreased maybe, maybe because of age, but I start getting into these stories with, with and, and I, I like numbers. I, I think they tell a, a powerful story, a, a richer, a deeper story, and, and, and help people understand what's going on to a greater degree when you're talking about points per 60 or, or Corsi or whatever, high danger. I, I like all of it, but I think there is nuance in terms of using it and applying it in our writing. As a reader, if I come across a story that's just full of numbers, I'm not—I I don't make it past the third graph. It's just so I—I I think, and and I know I have to remind myself, okay, I have all these numbers available, but what does it mean, and how does it, how does it complement what we're trying to, to convey? Um, and I know I struggle with it at times. I'm sure other writers are better at it than me. Um, so I—I I think it's tricky. I—I I really think there is a a, an art, a practice, uh, probably best uh, best practice uh, degree of trying to incorporate the numbers because otherwise, what are we doing as writers? We're trying to get readers engaged, and to be reading from from the beginning to the end. And I know as a reader, uh, I haven't I haven't made it that far with some of these number stories. So that's that's a trick that all of us writers have to to incorporate with our writing.
3: Farber, did you want anything to this before our last topic? uh, Go ahead.
4: My ophthalmologist has told me never to look at another athletic heat map again of of, of a rink. Uh, I love information, and this is more information. And Pluto's right. If you can figure out a way to use it, but people have to understand it. And if you can define Corsi without people saying, oh, Corsi, let's see. Oh, uh, plus Corsi is good, but what exactly is Corsi or whatever? Uh, I'm not sure we're ready for it. Uh, I can, you know, high danger scoring chances. That's obvious. And I think people can understand that. Um, but next level stuff, uh, I think is going to, as Fluto mentioned, is going to lose more people. And it's going, going to draw in. Tell good stories. Good stories, well told, four words. That's all you got to do. It's up to you to figure out how to do it.
3: All right, last uh, last question. We're going to end on this. I'm going to start with you, Michael Russo. So you got the. It's tougher for you because you got to come up with it first. I want to. I want you to um, take me to 2032 and tell me what it will be like to report on the National Hockey League ten years from now.
2: Oh my God! First of all, I just had a panic attack thinking that I might still be covering this league in 2032. I'll be writing about the f- bright future of the Minnesota Wild after their. 20th straight first-round exit, maybe.
3: Now you said you're writing, so that's a good sign.
2: Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I'll be dictating into my phone, probably. Um, God, I just honestly had a panic attack when you said 2032, 10 years from now. Um, <laughs> I mean, in, in all honesty, I, 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 what I hope is that we have not sort of opened the, the box of never being around these players again. I mean, that, that's what I hope. I, I just hope that we get back to inside that locker room, So we could tell stories. Um, But I do think there's going to be a lot more, um, you know, even the athletic. I think we're going to do something that I'm working on in the next little while. It's going to be sort of our first guinea pig into, I don't want to give too much away, but it's going to be a lot like what what Emily Kaplan did today with Jack Hughes or like what the New York Times, the better thing would be probably what the New York Times does to supplement, to complement their written articles where we have a documentary person that was out with us. Um, working on a story that we are going to tell the story, but there's going to be a doc that's going to kind of complement it. And it's going to be very New York Magazine, New York Times Magazine-esque. It's going to be really, really cool. I think there's going to be a lot more of that because as Ludo said, the attention span is something that I think, especially at The Athletic where we have so much content that a lot of people, and I'm the guiltiest probably at the entire uh, company of writing too long. And I think there's going to have to be ways where we go. I think we've, we've gotten to a point I know I have where I've forgotten how to write tight and really it does every story doesn't need to be three thousand words. Which for me, people joke when I get to three thousand words, that's when I start to breathe. Um, You know, we've got to get to a point where we tighten things back up to like a newspaper style because people just don't have the time or the patience at all to sit down and read. You know. 10, 15, 3,000 word stories. So I think that's where we're gonna evolve as the athletic is getting down to to being a little tighter but also complementing things with you know really cool features. but to do that you got to get access. So I mean I hope that things stay the same. I hope that there are newspapers still exist. Um, In 10 years, uh, you know, it concerns me um, the, the way that these organizations, some of these companies have thinned down. We're really lucky here in Minnesota to have a great newspaper in the Star Tribune. It's still as healthy as anything in the country. But there are some markets that I go to that I pick up a newspaper and I'm like, why did I buy this to read the game story? Because it's it was clearly uh, filed at the end of the second period and things like that. So um, I know that's sort of all over the map. But, um, you know, for me as an old school hockey writer at this point you know, I hope things don't change too much and we just get back to being able to be around these awesome players and really tell their stories. Pluto, same question.
0: I think it'll be um, kind of getting back to this, this wave of, uh, well, right now it's mobile, right? Uh, It's probably people not reading on their computers, not reading in print, which um, as a writer that, that, it kind of bums me out because you spend all this time crafting sentences and and making paragraphs work and, okay, do I use this word or not? And probably people are just scrolling by it on their phone. So it's all this time that that is perhaps could be applied elsewhere. So it's probably going to be more of that. Um, I see data visualization being big in terms of graphs and numbers. And um, I think it's just quick hits in and out. Um, just that, that stuff that really grabs the eye and gets that that part of your brain that that um, is is tuned for engagement. I think that's where we're going. Um, the, the long form, unfortunately, it's, maybe it's some of our our, our strengths. Um, I'm I'm really not sure that our brains are are trending in that direction. So uh, little little bits and nuggets and flashes and uh, something that will apply. And, and go hand in hand with the technology that will be developed by them, which uh, I think all goes away from uh, the the beauty of, of the words and the sentences and the, and the paragraphs and the pages, which uh, which makes me uh, sad and, and, and uh, it's bummed out. But uh, I think that's, that's the direction that I see, unfortunately.
3: Farber, and then we'll end it with Emily.
4: Well, in 10 years, I'll be watching Emily as the host of ABC's National News. She'll be anchoring. uh, She can't
3: afford the pay cut, Farber.
4: Well, you know, that's all i got. I don't plan uh, necessarily to be watching in uh, 2032, uh, because when man plans, God laughs.
3: All right, Emily, we'll end this with you. This doesn't necessarily have to be what ESPN or Turner are going to do. This is sort of, again, a very large, like, what's the reporting of the sport going to be in 2032? I, I'll tell you, when I was sort of conceptualizing the question, my first thought was, well, are we uh, are we going to actually be able to go into a locker room and interview the players in a locker room? Or is everything going to be on some like, uh, you know? giant like hunger game screen where we press a button and we ask them questions nobody really knows you think 10 years is a short amount of th- a long amount of time but it's not it's really short so how would you answer that question and we'll end on that
1: well as an executive of the professional hockey writers association i feel very important to get this on record the league has assured us in normal times we will be welcomed back into the locker room we have been told that multiple times if there is a change of heart um that will be highly disappointing. So we are all optimistic and maybe I'm a little bit of a too much of an optimist that things will restore to normal and we will get those in-person interactions. And just, you know, when I think of the sport as a whole, just the people in it, the people covering it, I think we're going to evolve. And I honestly think that um, we're going to get to a point where we talk about hockey players in the same way that we talk about NBA players, in the NFL and we're covering some of the petty dramas and we're talking about them on first take and things like that. And I think hockey's ready for it because this young generation, you know, I'm referencing this piece of Jack Hughes just because it is so recent and we published it last week, but here's a 20 year old kid who's just putting himself out there and he doesn't mind and he likes it. And he, he's not shying away from the attention. And I think that's the way the culture is going and I think that's just going to be great for our sport um, because it will draw in that more casual fan. Um, I do think there is going to be um, a culture awakening or it's going to be difficult or uncomfortable for a lot of people in hockey because they're not used to being covered like this. Um, you know, they're more used to being able to control their own narratives and, and keep things into a smaller zone. Um, but overall, if our mission is all growing the game, that's where I see it going. And I think we can achieve it in 10 years.
2: Yeah, just one thing, Richard, uh, you know, you know, one thing that 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 just, uh, you know, came up in my head, too, is I just think also with social media, I think a lot of players, what I worry about in 10 years is that they're going to sort of cut out the middleman, you know, not not talk to the beat writer anymore and all that, because they can control their they they could sell themselves uh, with their own narrative on social media and things like that. So that's that's one of the things that I am a little worried about, because I've seen it more and more and more where it's just, you know, you're. I'm responding, I'm writing an article responding to what one of the players tweeted or put on Instagram or things like that. And we're starting to see that, I think, on a more and more basis. And I just think in the next 10 years, it's just going to continue to go, you know, tenfold as the new generation young kids that are growing up with TikTok and, and putting themselves out there on social media are going to just, that's not going to be abnormal to them to just continue to do that, um, you know, uh, social media wise as they get older and older and eventually wind up in this league. Michael Russo
3: is a senior writer covering the Minnesota Wild and the NHL for the athletic. Fluto Shinzawa is a senior writer for the athletic covering the Boston Bruins. Emily Kaplan is a ESPN hockey reporter. You can also see her on um, many of the shows on those family networks. Michael Farber, Hall of Fame hockey writer, longtime Sports Illustrated writer, and TSN contributor. This was a really, really good panel. I appreciate all your time and, and insights, and I think this helps inform NHL viewers and fans on, what's going on now and, and maybe what will be, uh, what they'll be expecting in the future. Thanks so much today for joining me on the sports media podcast. Appreciate it guys. Thank you. All I want to thank everybody on the panel for a great, uh, great conversation, great insight and follow all those people in their various, uh, places as well as social media, really, really thoughtful and smart, uh, smart people for sure. If you head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch archives page, you will hopefully find some stuff that you liked. The previous podcast before this, we uh, we did a piece on Major League Baseball letting go of Ken Rosenthal that featured Richard Oli, and a media discussion with Chad Finn and myself including whether Urban Meyer will get hired again by a network. Before that, Fred Godelli, the executive producer of Sunday Night Football. A conversation on John Madden's legacy Gadelli was the last producer for John Madden. And uh, that was a great podcast. He just really insight, great insight into what made Matt and who he was. We had the nexus of sports and COVID with Bruce Arthur, Donovan Bennett, and Amal Delich. ESPN's Ryan Clark on uh, building, uh, sort of how to build a, um, a sports career post, uh, post-playing. And then just go down the list, hopefully in the archives you'll find some stuff you like. Rebecca Lowe, Mike Green, and I, and Eagle came on together. Pam Oliver, Chris Jericho. So uh, a mix of uh, conversation about sports media, as well as interviews with people who are in sports media. If you like this stuff, again, it really does have meaning. Please leave us a five-star review and a note about what you like in the podcast. As always, I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for his hard work on this podcast. Thanks so much, Patrick. Thanks, everybody, Cadence 13, and mostly thanks to you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media with Richard Deitch podcast.